there's been so much that's happened since I was last with you. And uh, as you know, my, my last trip uh, was kind of long in terms of the number of stops. I went first to Egypt and I left here having shared with you uh, the theology of space, how the Lord creates a space and desires to fill it. Remember, we talked about this. We talked about how God created the heavens and then the earth within the heavens. And then in the earth, he separated the waters and he filled the waters with fish. He filled the air with birds. He filled the land with plants and animals. And then he put man and he gave humankind, humanity, the same mandate to fill the earth. Now you go and fill the earth and take care of it. And then not only that, but he actually gave each one of us individual space that he wants us to fill with him. And he gives us many examples throughout scripture of how the temple or the tabernacle was supposed to be a space that Moses was instructed to build according to a very specific plan. Do you remember the tabernacle? The measurements, the details, the elements, the altar in the front outside that everybody could see, and then the, behind the first curtain, the showbread, all of those things were filling that space so that we can come to the inside most part. Remember what that was called? The Holy of Holies. And what was supposed to fill that? It wasn't just the ark. The ark was the mercy seat that something else was supposed to come and fill that with. Do you remember what that was? It was the glory of God. The glory of God was to come into the tabernacle and fill it. And then later David supplies all the materials needed to be able to create or build a more permanent house for God, an expression of the permanence that you and I will have with him. We are saved not for a temporary relationship that ends at death, but we are saved and purchased for an eternal relationship that will stand just like the monument of the temple stood. Now it's destroyed, but there's a new temple being built. And that temple had in it many elements, many different things came together to make that temple so that one day something would fill it. Do you remember what that was? The glory of God again. So you and I are made to individually carry the glory of God. And that's what Jesus prayed in John 17. He prayed, Father, the glory that you have given me, I now give to them, us, the glory of God, the presence of God, the expression, the manifestation, the full light, if you will. We have trouble understanding the word glory. You know, we think glory sometimes means, oh, look at her. She's glorious today. She's dressed nice. Her hair is made well. Her nails, nails are nice and polished. Look at him. He is glorious today. He's, you know, to the nines. You know, he's all dressed up. He's got a full expression. Well, the glory of God can be compared to the light, the brightness, the, the full expression of God's presence. And that's what we are to experience daily. So are you experiencing his presence? Are you experiencing his full manifestation in your life? So I went to, to my, this trip with this in my mind. Everywhere I was walking, I was looking to see the filling of God's glory 
in those circumstances. So my first stop was Frankfurt on the way to Egypt. And uh, while there, I was just watching the crowd, watching what's going on. It's a big airport. It's a huge airport. It's a huge hub in Europe. A lot of airliners use it to, to switch and, and connect and do all of that. So it's always busy. And people are just going in different directions, halls and this and that. And then when I got to Egypt, I was picked up by uh, one of our friends there, Majid. Majid is the director of Sat7 Egypt. How many here know of Sat7? I know some of you have shared your stories about your experience with Sat7. That's very encouraging for me. So I went to meet with them and I had a tour of the facilities. We prayed there for God's purposes to be established. They have tiny, tiny studios. One studio is about half this room. And they do amazing things through it. They set it up, they switch it, the lights come on, the stage changes, the settings change, the scenery changes, and they're doing amazing programming to help people experience God in Arabic. And that's being now dubbed to other languages, Farsi, Turkish, sometimes Urdu. All of that is happening in these little spaces that they have dedicated to God. It's amazing how this building was built. It was built in the mountain of Mukattam. Some of you know that mountain. That's the mountain that many years ago, the leader of the national religion in Egypt challenged the church. Your Bible says that if you have faith, you can tell this mountain to move. Here is the mountain, tell it to move. And the Lord pointed out who they should have pray for that and it was a, a tanner, a guy who tans leather. You know what that is? When the cow gives its leather, well, when humans strip the cow from its skin, they go through a tanning process to make it into leather. So this tanner had faith. So God showed the church leaders to go to that man. And the man didn't want any publicity. So they call Simon, his name was Simon, they call him to come and pray. And he prays that the mountain which on, was on the west side of the Nile lifts and moves. And the history says that they could see the sun from under the mountain. And the mountain didn't just move a little inches or two. It lifted and moved across the Nile to the east side. Now, if you go, you think I'm crazy. But if you go to Google Earth or Google Maps and search for Mukattam in the maps, you will see that all around the mountain, it doesn't have a slope. It has a ridge. It's like a slice of cake that's been cut off and moved and put there. And you can see all around it, it doesn't have a smooth edge. Why? Because it didn't belong there. It belonged on the west side. But now that mountain is there. And you can search uh, Egypt, Mukattam, mountain moving. And you'll find all kinds of reports on it. Anyway, so that mountain is special to me. Because my grandfather, our grandfather, mom's dad, was crazy enough to buy land there and build. And everybody was mocking him. Him and another cousin bought land. Who's going to build on this mountain? It's all rock. You're going to kill yourself digging and digging. What this studio did was they bought land there. And they had two stories. But they figured, you know what? We can't go higher. Let's go lower. And they started to dig. So it reminded me of my grandfather's digging 
when everybody called him crazy. Now they're all doing that. So that was in Egypt. And then we went down to the valley. Uh, and there we had our gathering. And uh, in that gathering, there was a young man by the name of Bishoy. I want us to pray for Bishoy. Bishoy is Egyptian. And he has been sent from Egypt to Turkey. And he's been living in Turkey for many years, is married. He's got a one-and-a-half-year-old daughter. And uh, they've been living in Istanbul. And the Lord spoke to him in August of 2022. And he said to him to move to another place in Turkey, the place called Gaziantep. Does that ring a bell? Gaziantep. Do you remember what happened a few months ago? Big news, earthquake, Turkey, Syria, Gaziantep. That was ground zero of the earthquake. So the Lord tells him to move there. So he talks to his leaders in Egypt. They pray together and they discerned that this is a good thing. In August of 2022, he tries to move there, but you need a special permit to live in that city. It is not welcoming to non-Turkish residents of Gaziantep. So because he doesn't have an address in Gaziantep, nobody wants to lease him a property to live in. They all treat him like he's a plague. He's from outside. They don't like foreigners, especially he's Egyptian. Even like him less. But anyway, he found some favor. He got settled. He got his permit. He's now living in Gaziantep. After all of that, from last September until, you know, early part of this year, he worked hard to get all that done. And at the same time, he was doing ministry. He walked from Antakya. Does that name ring a bell? If I say it a different way, you'll recognize it. Antioch, okay, of the book of Acts, the first city that Paul went to, after they left Jerusalem, they went to Antioch. And that was the first place that people that believed and followed Jesus were called Christians. So he goes and starts walking from Antioch all along the border through Gaziantep all the way to Urfa. Anybody recognize these names? These were territories that were the homes of Armenians throughout history. These were Armenian lands. And he knows the history. He studied the history. So he goes into all of these different cities. And in his spirit, he feels the darkness. The darkness that is there, not because of the people living there, but because of the bloodshed, the innocent blood that was shed during the genocide. And he walked along all the routes of the death marches of the Armenians that were ushered out of that region to their death. Many of our grandparents walked those on their way to wherever. My grandparents walked down that path into Iraq, then Syria, then Egypt. Some of your grandparents may have walked through that if you have Armenian heritage. Some ended up in different parts and settled there. But he felt all of that. So I met him and we talked. And as we talked, the more we talked, the more our hearts opened to each other. And then he shared publicly. We had him come up on the last day and he was going to share with the others that were there. There was about 30 internationals. 
the trip had five stops or six stops. And the international team that I was a part of, there was about 15 that were there for all 15, and there was another 15 or 20 that would come in and out. I was there for the last three stops. So the internationals are there, and I was translating for him. And he was sharing all of these details and how he got there, what he's doing, what's happening. And then he turns to me. We had talked before that, he and I. The day before, we had met, and we had shared our hearts together, our stories together. And as he's sharing now, and I'm translating to English from his Arabic, he turns to me. He just realized I'm the one translating. And he knows my story. He knows what God had done in my life with Turks in Turkey, outside of Turkey. So he turns to me all of a sudden. He says, I'm so glad you're the one translating for me. As soon as he said that, my heart just went. <laughs> and I got stopped for a second. So they pull me out. They put another translation, translator in. Now that translator didn't feel the story like I was feeling it. So he was having trouble translating. So I was throwing words from where I was. I wish they had left me. Eventually I came back. But he shared a very interesting story. He says one of the cities that he visited, there is a mosque called the Guillotine Mosque. Why would you ever call a mosque the Guillotine Mosque? Think about it. You know what a guillotine is. So he researched and he found that that city, and they're unashamed of their history. That city had used the guillotine to kill every Armenian in the city. And the priest of the Armenian church was left to stand there and watch everyone get killed. Because he's a Christian leader. So he had to see it, to crush him. But as his turn came, he turned to the man who was going to use the guillotine and he says to him, I know you have to do your job, but before you do it, do you mind if I pray a blessing for you? And they killed him. So Bishoy feels that the work that he and his wife and others, part of his team are doing, are answering this priest's prayer. God will work it out. We don't know what part of the story we were reading. But this is over a hundred years ago. And today, a man from Egypt. And Egypt was the place that received our grandparents, mine and Silva's and Remy's, others in Egypt, as not refugees, but Egyptians. They gave us Egyptian citizenship. And now an Egyptian is in Turkey. And you know what he said about the earthquake? He said, I know Gaziantep has a dark history. And there's many curses over this land. But look at the grace of God. That because of this earthquake, the whole world is praying for Gaziantep for mercy. How would that have happened? We've been praying here every April 24th, blessing, releasing Turkey from its guilt, I've visited the tomb of the great-grandfather of the man that I had met who was the commander of the Turkish army commissioned with killing the Armenians from my city. Remember all that? And I went to his tomb and I prayed blessing and released forgiveness. But we don't know how God is going to actually execute that. So now the whole world, because of the earthquake, was praying for Gaziantep. God have mercy on these people. 
And he's saying, and now we're seeing the fruit. During the time of the earthquake, he was called to Egypt to rest. So he and his family were in Egypt. The earthquake happened. Immediately they left Egypt. They went back to Gaziantep. And everyone received them like their family. Because they saw, you weren't even here. Why did you come back? I came back because I love you. I have my paper that says I'm a citizen with you. This is my town as much as it is yours. So he's there lifting rocks, picking up, finding people, taking his one and a half year old daughter with him everywhere they go. And she just brightens the room. And now they receive him and people are receiving the grace of God. And what was first a place of death now became a place of eternal life. The story isn't over. Your story isn't over. Your troubles are just today. Don't think they define you. God is still working it out. You don't know how it's going to end yet. This is not your end. There's still more in the story. So I was moved. I was shocked. I was like, God, you are so amazing. And because I was there, because you sent me and blessed me to go, all of a sudden an Armenian is standing representing Armenians in this Egyptian gathering with 35 internationals and all the Egyptians and it was being broadcast to the global intercessory team. All of a sudden the Armenian story is on the map. People were coming to me, texting me, said, we didn't know. How can we have been silent all these years? We had no idea that this happened. We are so sorry that we've not known. We're so sorry we've been silent. Now we're going to pray different. Now we're going to pray for Armenia to be restored. Now we're going to pray for the Armenian people. Now we're going to pray. And it was one after the other. So my not being there wouldn't have allowed this to happen. There was no other Armenian in the room. But I was there. And I spoke to him. And I blessed him. And I thanked him for being the answer to even our prayers as a church, that the Lord would move and bring. And he's saying that, you know, many Armenians that he's talked to have said the same thing. We want revenge. But a few Armenians that he's talked to have said the best revenge is the salvation of Turks so that our grandparents that have not died in vain. That was Egypt. And then we went to Israel and we met with the Palestinian Arab leaders, we stayed in Nazareth. So I had a wonderful time speaking with a young Nazareth, uh, I was going to say Nazarene, I guess that's what he was, a young Nazarene. He was 22 years old and uh, he was the manager in the hotel of all the waiters. 22. Spoke fluent English and uh, he opened his heart. The first night we were there, somebody asked if the bar is still open. Okay, somebody wanted a little bit of wine at the end of the trip because it was a long day. I have no judgment. Wine is okay. Beer is okay. Just don't get drunk. So we go, and we go down to the lobby to get a new key for someone. And somebody says, is the bar open? He says, I'll open it for you. Okay, so he opens the bar, there's about seven or eight of us, and we're sitting there, and he opens a bottle of wine, says, this one's on me, and he starts pouring the wine, 
he saw that there's more people, so he opens another bottle. He says, don't worry about the bottles. I'm covering this for you tonight. Anyway, so, but what was interesting is that he started to open his heart. I asked him, how can we pray for you? And he said, well, we feel like second class. What do you mean? The milk that we get is very close to expiry. And it doesn't have the same fat as the one they get in Tel Aviv. The food that we get is the second grade. The meat, not the best. The vegetables, they're almost stale. I said, why? He goes, because everything goes to the Jews. I said, what do you mean? You're Israelis. He goes, yeah, we're Israelis, but they're Israelis. So we didn't want to take sides because that's not what we're there, but we heard his heart. And then he said, you know, I smoked marijuana for a while. My dad would come into my room and say, what is that awful smell? So I would tell him, oh, it must be a bad pack of cigarettes. But my sister, younger sister, knew she can't miss anything. And uh, she would look at me and shake her head. But I've stopped. I said, that's good that you stopped. I still smoke, though, cigarettes. I said, ah, that's okay, fine, but, you know, work on that. And uh, he says, yeah, I want to work out. And I want to, you know, be strong. He was fit. He used to go to the gym. He's 22. He speaks fluent English. He learned it all on YouTube since he was 12. And he said, because the human mind is an amazing thing. So the Lord led me to share with him. I said, do you know anything about me? He says, no, you're Canadian. I said, yeah, you're from Egypt. Yeah, I spoke Arabic with him. I said, yeah, but I'm Armenian. My grandparents survived the genocide and their parents were killed. They sent them off when they were teenagers, younger than you by maybe five, six years. But they never gave up hope because they figured that God is still working it out. Their parents died in the genocide, but they had hope. You're feeling resentment maybe in your heart, but don't. Let it go. You're feeling there's injustice, but don't get angry. Don't put your energy towards that. Put your energy towards something else. And he starts tearing. And I said, you know, he was asking us to pray for my wife to be. He didn't have a wife and he wanted to get married and there's a girl that he's interested in. So I said, that girl, whether her or somebody else, build a future, focus on the future because there is inside you generations. My grandparents didn't know it when they left Arme Armenia after the genocide to come to wherever. They ended up in Egypt and there was generations inside them. They got married, they had kids, they had my parents, they're, they're, my parents had us, we've had our kids and now you see the grandkids. There's generations inside each of you. There's spiritual generations inside each of us. Because God wants to create a space and fill it. And he's given us the same thing, create a space and fill it. So I said to him, don't worry about all the other stuff. You can put your energy towards that. I was being prepared when I was younger to be part of a young group that was going to cause revenge to happen for the Armenians against the Turks. But God spared me that. And he took me out of that into something different. This life. So he starts staring. He said, just focus on the future. Don't look at today. Don't look at the pain of today. There's something bigger. God is going to work it out. 
he came over and he hugged me real tight. That was a highlight in Lebanon. It was in Israel. There was many other highlights. We met a family in uh, Cana. By the way, the wine in Cana, don't buy it. It's terrible. The one there. You know why? Everybody thinks, oh, Cana, the, the first wedding, the, the, the wedding that Jesus went to, the first miracle, he made wa- wine from water. Buy that one. <laughs> That's why everybody said, ah, look at this wine. Then they served us the bad wine at the beginning. That's why, no, their wine is fine. You can buy their wine. But we met a family there, and uh, the young girl, the young daughter, was very outspoken. She spoke to the Jewish leaders about her desire to walk with them as one family. This is a 25-year-old daughter. Her father and mother are pastoring. Her uncles are all pastors of different uh, churches in the the region there, Cana Cana and some of the others. Uh, But she was bold enough to stand up and tell the Jewish Christian Messianic leaders, we're one family. We can't walk separate. We can't be Arabs and Jews. I want to sit at the same table with you and I want you to sit at the same table with us. I want you to feel that you are my family and that I'm not dangerous. And I'm not out to get you. I love you. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And look around the room. There's different cultures represented here. Each one of us, and this blew my mind years ago when we first moved into this building. It blew my mind that Persian people, Iranian people, were preparing the lunch and the Armenians were going to come and join them. I said that out loud during the service. Avedis Yekbar comes and tells me, did you know what today is? It's the remembrance of the battle that took place, Vartanans, between Armenians and Persians. But in Christ we've been made one. We're one family. There's one family that God is going to come for from Toronto. We meet in different churches. We don't want to judge the other churches. They're our brothers and sisters. We're going to have communion after today, in a little while. We're one with them. We're one with the Catholics. We're one with the Anglicans. We're one with the Evangelicals. We're one with the Baptists. We're ones with the ones that don't like us. We're ones with the ones that love us. We're one with all of them. We're one family. He's not going to come to a harem out of Toronto. He's not going to come pick up many women to be his bride from Toronto. It's going to be one bride. It's going to be one bride in Ontario. It's going to be one bride in Canada. It's going to be one bride in the world. And we're the same bride with the Palestinians and the Messianic Jews and the Egyptians and later the Lebanese. All of us are one bride. And he's preparing us for that. We separate based on all kinds of things. He doesn't. I'm going to jump from Israel now. We had to cross across the Jordan by bus. That's another whole story. And then fly from there to to Lebanon. And Lebanon doesn't like Israel. So if you've been to Israel, they don't want you. Which I don't understand. They should welcome you because you have information that can help them if you want to give it to them. Anyway, that's a side story. Lebanon doesn't like Israel. They've been at war. Hezbollah controls the region where the airport is. So there's all kinds of political dynamic that's going on. But somehow we managed to get through by God's grace. And we got to our room. And this is the view 
that we were looking at. Beautiful. You know what this is? What this water is here? That's the Mediterranean. You go a little bit south from there and you hit Israel. You go around the corner from there and you hit Egypt, Morocco, Algeria, Spain, Cyprus, all of that is in the Mediterranean. So even though they're enemies, they swim in the same water. It's kind of silly. They fish in the same water. They catch the same fish. When there's a storm, the storm affects both of them. But anyway, this area right here is where the explosion happened two years ago. Do you remember? And we had Gabby and Cosette join us, the pastors of the church that Aaron and I had visited many years ago. Gabby may be visiting us sometime this month if he's able to pass through. He's going to be in Montreal for uh, the Perfume of Nations. But anyway, uh, we had taken up an offering. Do you remember? We had taken up an offering to help the earthquake. Uh, not the earthquake, but the, uh, the explosion and everything that was happening. Their church is small. It's probably our size, maybe even smaller. But something happened. That church, the seed that we gave, there was another seed that was gathered by watchmen and it helped help them and many other churches in Lebanon. And what the Lord guided them to do was because there were so many people hungry. They set up a pantry and a number of them started to go out to different food ma manufacturers and pick up cans of food jars of oil and they put all of that together and every four to six weeks I may be wrong on that maybe six seven weeks whatever they make these boxes that contain enough food for all the family and they give out what would you think is reasonable how many boxes to how many families take a number 50 do I have a 200 5,000, that's ridiculous, yeah. So they give, they give out 750 of these boxes. <laughs> Yalla, get it over with. <laughs> they give out 750 of these boxes every four to six weeks. And it's become a full-time ministry for two or three of their staff. And they've dedicated themselves to just that. And these boxes get ready and then they have the families come and they deliver them. You have to understand the economy of what's going on there. What's the largest bill you've ever had in your pocket? A hundred. Anybody have a thousand dollar bill? Not yet? Okay. Well, Salpi, now you're holding 5,000 lira. Alina, you're going to hold 50. And uh, Garina, you're going to hold 100,000. 100, okay. At one point, I held over 3 million. I had three million in my hand. I was a millionaire. Not dollars, lira. You know what the Lord spoke to me and said? These are just zeros. The value can go up, the value can come down. But there's a different currency that I want you to trade in. Don't value this currency on this earth. 
because there's a different currency that does not lose its value. And you know what that currency is? That currency is the family. You may say, but I'm having trouble in my family. Don't give up. It's not over yet. You have a bigger family. And what we did when we traveled was we went to discover our family in Egypt, in Israel, and in Lebanon. We wanted to meet their other family members that we haven't met. And they were so moved by that that they started to just appreciate us in more and more ways. In Lebanon, and I'm going to wrap up with this, they took us on a little bit of a tour to what's called the Cedars of God. The Cedars of God is in the north part of Lebanon. It's on a hill, and uh, on the way there, you can see the water streams and the waterfalls and everything else. And this is all the way up the mountain on the north part of Lebanon. And when you get there, you encounter these amazing, massive, massive, like I, <laughs> this doesn't give you perspective because there's nobody standing there. But this is massive. It's about four meters wide, the trunk. That's like from here to there. That's one. There's others that were even bigger. They're called cedars of God because when they age them, when they date them, they date to about six, 7,000 years old. And they feel that that's what the scripture says, that when God spoke and filled the earth with plants, these were the cedars that he planted. So they call them the cedars of God. We went there, and then all of a sudden we, we, we had communion there, and we realized something very interesting. These cedars, the people of Sire or Tyre and Sidon, Lebanon today, cut their trees down and sent them to David for the building of the temple. Remember that? So we're standing there, and we're facing south to the neighbor on the south. Israel and we're praying a blessing and all of a sudden the Lord speaks to me these are the same trees that Solomon David's son built the temple that I filled so I started to pray for the people of Lebanon it would be part of the temple that God is building so I brought some Parts of cedar. It smells amazing. This was part of a tree that fell because of lightning. So it was just laid there and it was getting dry. So it was easy to pick and it's easy to split. I'll leave those here and you can have a part of that. But I also brought pieces of rock. For those of you that want to pray for Lebanon. You don't have to go all the way to Lebanon to be standing on Lebanese stand, uh, ground. You can just lay your finger on this. And you're standing on Lebanon. And you can pray, God bless Lebanon. Some of you have been in Lebanon during times of war. I know a couple of, year, a couple of weeks ago, Salpi shared with you about Joseph, her dad. And God is with Joseph. And the box of shells that she collected. I brought this specifically for you, Salpi. These cedars. That the Lord would start a new collection for you, new memories. That the memories of the war, you and Hasmig and, and Huri, others that have come from Lebanon, that the memories of the civil war and the pain that you've gone through would be erased, but you would have new memories of Lebanon, that God would establish a new thing in you. 
God wants to build a space and fill it. You are instrumental in that. You have keys. Each of us have keys that the Lord has given us for our own lives and for our society and our community. Let's not waste them. 